2: Plus, every single Borough order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST.
3: The Guardian.
4: Welcome to the final episode of this special series of podcasts Highlighting the best shows of the past year As chosen by the judges of the British Podcast Awards 2018 I'm Rihanna Dillon and today we're looking into best branded and best radio podcasts As well as the nominees for our represent award Here we go We'll start with the best branded shows of the year, supported by Muddy Knees Media, specifically for podcasts that wouldn't exist without some corporate dollar. And if you're passionate about the past, then this first podcast is for you. It's called Irreplaceable, a history of England in a hundred places. Historic England asked the general public to nominate their favourite 100 places that had played a significant part in the history of England. The shortlisted places from all over the country were brought together for a mammoth 40-part weekly podcast series presented by Emma Barnett. Let's hear a clip. Today I'm joined in the studio by Jane Sedell, an inspector of ancient monuments at Historic England, who has a real passion for science. Jane, welcome. First of
1: all, tell me, what does that title mean? I'd like to know a bit more. I'm afraid it means that I have the best job in the world. As an Inspector of Ancient Monuments, um, I look after some of the most important archaeology in London, and that includes sites like Hampton Court Palace, all the way down to a tiny scrap of the Roman Forum, which is buried beneath a hairdresser's in Leadenhall Market. Wow. It's my job to make sure that the sites are protected and preserved, but also we show them off as much as we can to anyone that wants to know about them.
4: In this episode, we're going to unveil the first six irreplaceable science and discovery locations. So let's begin with nothing less than our modern measurement of time. Dr Louise DeVoy is curator of the Royal Observatory at Greenwich and she gave us a tour. If you'd come here a few hundred years ago, this would have just been a hunting lodge in the middle of a royal park. And then in the 1670s, it was realised that people needed to do a lot more astronomy to try and create accurate star charts that could help navigators at sea. Uh, It was becoming a lot more important for trade and travel across the globe. So the observatory was set up in 1675 and it was up to the first astronomer royal, John Flamsteed, to very diligently map the stars as they moved across the sky from east to west, timing the exact moment at which they crossed the meridian, the north-south line. Behind me, near the meridian, we have the Meridian Observatory and that's where the astronomers would set up their telescopes and their clocks. So they would open up the hatch in the roof and watch the stars as they appear to move across the sky and then as the star crosses the meridian, you you check the clock and you can use time as a measure of position. You just heard Irreplaceable, a history of England in a 100 Places, produced by Fresh Air Productions for Historic England. Now, this next podcast is also produced by Fresh Air. Parliament Explained aims to answer the questions that so many of us have. What goes on in Parliament? How does it work? And why should you care? This sounds pretty simple, but turning dry and dense information into a genuinely interesting podcast, especially when every word of every script had to be cleared by both the House of Commons and the House of Lords, is no small feat.
5: While some members of both houses are chosen to become government ministers, the vast majority of MPs and members of the House of Lords aren't, and their role is to work on our behalf to question and scrutinise the government. Scrutiny in Parliament takes many forms, including parliamentary questions. These can be either oral questions asked in person in the House of Commons or House of Lords chamber, or written questions that are submitted in writing and receive a written answer. Or debates on specific subjects. These allow those taking part more time to raise different points and have them answered by a minister. And inquiries by select committees. We'll talk more about the scrutiny carried out by select committees in our next episode but let's start with oral questions in the Commons. While these take place throughout the week and for all departments One of the liveliest and most well-known events in the parliamentary calendar is Prime Minister's Question Time, sometimes referred to as PMQs.
6: Well, I I understand the concern both that the uh, Honourable Member rightly shows for her constituent and obviously the deep concern that her constituent has to find out what happened in this terrible tragedy. I understand that the Minister of the Foreign Office is actively working on this question. I will ask him to respond to the Honourable Lady uh, and to meet with her to discuss what more can be done. Prime Minister's Question Time, or PMQs,
5: is one of the most well-known events of the parliamentary week. For half an hour each Wednesday in the House of Commons, MPs are given the opportunity to put questions directly to the Prime Minister on any subject for which the government is responsible. To tell us more, Lynne Hobson and Gary Hart are here. They're regional outreach officers for the Houses of Parliament.
7: The Prime Minister answers questions in the House of Commons chamber for half an hour each sitting week. And it's broadcast live online at parliamentlive.tv, like most parliamentary business. These exchanges are lively. They're also regularly featured in the news headlines and shared widely on social media.
5: So who gets to ask a question during PMQs? MPs need to enter a ballot for their chance to ask a question during PMQs. They submit a
8: question in advance, which is known as tabling a question. Then the shuffle happens, where out of all the table questions, 15 are randomly chosen by a computer.
4: Now we have yet another appearance from the Discovery Adventures featuring Sir Ranulph Fiennes, Hugh Skinner and Alexander Armstrong. Stick your headphones on and enjoy this binaural experience.
5: Sam? Sam, are you ready darling? Are you?
4: Have you got everything?
1: I'm sure you've packed just fine, I just always like to double check. Sam, where are your hiking boots? And your pants?
5: All this traffic.
1: Where are they all going? Oh, I wouldn't... You can't U-turn there. What's going on? Have you all got lost at the same time, or what?
9: You're listening to Episode 2 of The Discovery Adventures from Land Rover. Follow the trail of plotters threatening to bring chaos to the country.
1: Right, see there. Where the water was dripping over the lip of the cave. That's known as the Petrifying Well. And over there, that's the Wishing Well.
9: It's beautiful. Sam, take a look. at the rocks, all grown over, cops and leaves. And all those objects hanging in the mouth of the cave all turned to stone.
10: An old kettle. Now, what's this? Well, a hat and... Wow, those are teddy bears. It's quite
6: eerie, really, isn't it?
1: It is strange, isn't it? All these objects from people's lives and they're turned to stone as if by a witch's curse. But in some ways, the truth is even stranger. What's happening here is that the water that's flowing through the cave is dissolving the limestone, so it's picking up the minerals, the calcium carbonates and sulphates, And then, as it flows over all these objects, including those teddy bears, it's redepositing the minerals, so everything gets covered with this perfect stony skin. Whoa. You have to leave something here for three months for it to work. But still, what a trick of nature.
9: You don't fancy a dip in there, do you? Good. No, me neither. Besides, it sounds like we'll be petrified soon enough.
1: Speaking of which, here's
4: the cave mace. Are you ready? Do you want to take my hand? That was The Discovery Adventures from Land Rover. Next up, publisher Penguin Random House wanted to sell more audiobooks, so they created a podcast with audiobook extracts to persuade the digital generation to listen. They get big-name authors to talk about the five objects that inspired the writing of their latest book – Let's hear a clip with Ian Rankin on how the life of his severely disabled son has influenced how he has written his most popular character.
11: Your last item is a personal one. Yeah. It's a photograph, a really lovely photograph of your boys, I assume.
2: This obviously dates from when we lived in France because they're pretty young. They're now 25 and 23. In fact, I did look for a photograph that my wife Miranda was in with them as well, but I couldn't find one, so I've come along with this. This is one of the many photos that sits in my uh, office usually. Uh, How old are they there? Then? Well, there they'd be, I guess, something like seven and five. or No, six and four, maybe. And their names are... Well, Jack is the older one and Kit is a younger one. Mm-hmm. And lovely boys. Kit is good. I don't know if you can tell from that photograph or not. He's got special needs. He's, uh, I can't. He's, you he's, tell from he's, that. Quite, he's quite severely disabled. He can't walk. He can't talk. He can't feed himself. He can't dress himself.
8: OK.
2: He was born in France. So we went through all this stuff with French specialists. And, I mean, my French wasn't up to it. Miranda's French was barely up to dealing with medical specialists telling you what's wrong with Your kid. And so he was part of the reason why we moved back to the UK and part of the reason why the Rebus books got quite dark and Mm. quite potent for a while as well, because I was channeling a lot of the stuff I was feeling and going through and giving it to my character as a way of earthing it as a kind of catharsis. Mm. So he lives in a facility that's near us in Edinburgh, a 20 minute walk away. And Mm. Jack, our oldest son, lives at home at the moment.
11: Talk a little bit more about that frustration. Do you think, did it help? Did it get you through it? Are you less frustrated and angry about that situation now?
2: In some ways, I mean, I was quite horrible at Erebus. I read about Black and Blue and The Hanging Garden. Those were the two books I was writing at a time when Kit was being diagnosed. And in Black and Blue, I think I pretty much take him down to his lowest point where he's having a needless fist fight with his best friend and he collapsed on the ground. And then the very next book, the first thing I do is put his daughter in a wheelchair. Right. She's hit by a hit-and-run driver And that's because we'd learned that Kit might never walk And so I just thought, right, you're going to have to go through what I've gone through I mean,
11: the obvious question is How much is Reba an alter ego? Well, you- I wouldn't have
2: said very much I often think of him as the big brother I never quite had mm. I mean, he is an older generation than me And he smokes and I've never smoked And his philosophy of life isn't necessarily mine but he comes from the same village as me, he grew up in the same sort of circumstances, and he shares my taste in music. And, yeah, I mean, where else does he come from? Mm. I mean, all your characters come from inside your head. They're mm. in these little compartments in your head, and so he's obviously part of me.
4: Ian Rankin, speaking on The Penguin Podcast. And now, a podcast that was inspired by business, banking, but most importantly, women. Acast and PixU created a series for Nat West aimed at, you guessed it, women. June Sarpong spoke to founders, CEOs and entrepreneurs to help women build confidence and succeed in business. I assume world domination is series two. In this clip, Sarpong meets Jyoti
12: Matu, a young entrepreneur and founder of Wa Fashion. It's time to introduce our featured woman in business, a young entrepreneur whose love of fashion and styling has blossomed into a company with a thriving online magazine and its own creative agency attached. A warm welcome, and she's Snapchatting, so impressive, (laughs) (laughs) to Jyoti Matu, the founder of Voir Fashion. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Well, I have to say, you are wasted on a podcast. How gorgeous are you? (laughs) I mean, wow. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) So are you. Well, it takes one to know one, my dear. (laughs) So let's talk a bit about your business, because it's a really interesting concept that you have with Voir. It's part fashion. Mm -hmm. Part magazine and part agency. Mm-hmm. How did that all come about? So I
13: set up Voir Fashion with my business partner, Luke Warwin, um, co-founder is of Voir Fashion. Is he still your co-founder? Yes, yeah. he is, yeah. And um, we originally started off as a stylist and photography duo myself. My background is fashion mm. styling. Okay. Basically, there weren't many opportunities around and we knew that we, we needed to be sort of pitching for work around the South and we, wouldn't, we needed to build up a portfolio, really. So we we started working with a local publication and as you can probably imagine, we eventually started to run out of content when when it came to fashion um, and the relationship broke down with that particular publication. Um, It was difficult because we'd invested so much into it. My business partner is not just a photographer, he's a graphic designer as well, so he was designing the publication. I was coming up with the concepts, sourcing the trends. I'd built up like a creative team at the time of a hairstylist, a makeup artist And we'd invested a lot into it and the relationship broke down and we we were at a bit of a loose end, like, where do we go from here? And at the time I had, like, some great freelance projects going for me, which had also come to an end. So it was a pretty dark time um, and it was a bit like, where where do we go from here? And what are you going
12: to do next?
13: And when you're literally at that point when you feel like you've got nothing, because that's literally where I was at, and I'd signed up for an apartment that was quite expensive at the time because I thought I'd had that stability... I thought, well, we're doing everything under somebody else's... Banner. But uh, head, basically. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I took the gamble and I remembered I gave Luke a call and I was like, right, why don't we set up our own magazine? And we are like, no budgets, no resources. <laughs> He's like, okay. And I was like, do you want to go round? <laughs> and then, like, we called, like, the hair and makeup girls round as well. We had very, very limited resources. It was a dark time. How much
12: did you start with? Do you remember?
13: Yeah, clearly. Probably like £200 or something like that. No way. Yeah, and all we could rely on was our creativity. And it was our visuals which were our strongest point.
4: Jyoti Matu speaking to June Sopong for the Women in Business podcast. The next category is for podcasts that celebrate the diversity of perspectives in Britain. The Represent Award, supported by Twitter, is for shows that give a voice to people and ideas underrepresented in traditional media. The first nominee is Carousel Radio, a monthly show that showcases the creative voice of the learning disabled community. The shows are written by people with a learning disability and have a different theme each month. Features range from fantastical, humorous and sometimes touching short stories and poems by resident writers to funny and fast-moving quiz shows and games.
14: This is Carousel Radio.
8: This show's all about
12: nightmares.
8: Hey, you're in, you're scared of something. I'm scared of something, so I get really bad vertigo if I look up at high buildings. So that's more like the leg shaking, all that. So, Dev, are you scared of any of any things that make, make you scared of them?
14: I was scared of um, heights, and I was scared of thunder as well.
8: And what, thunder crashing?
14: Yeah, and I, I was scared of it, and then I got underneath the duvet, and then <laughs> and then I got underneath my mum's duvet, and I was scared of it. I'm scared of monsters, real monsters.
8: <laughs> oh, <blimey.
14: laughs> I watched The Scariest Clown Ever on TV make me right scared.
8: It's just uh, imagination, isn't it? Or is it just really a monster under your bed, David? I don't know.
14: There is a monster under my bed. It's moving <laughs> around, and I feel, feel it coming up underneath the bed. And
8: I was afraid of it, and,
14: and I was scared of it as well, you
8: know. this is like in a real dream? That's a real dream. So if you could describe the monster, how would you say it like? uh, The look like... monster
14: looked like it's got scary teeth, big horns. Oh, cool. God. <laughs> And it's really, really blue.
8: And it gives you the creeps? It gives me the creeps. Yeah. So his eyes are quite googly?
14: Yeah, the eyes were very spooky. Make those spinny eyeballs spin. <laughs> oh, <God>. Very creepy.
8: <laughs> Welcome to the taste test. We've got two contenders here who are Fran and David. So Fran is blindfolded. We're gonna give her four things to taste. Here's the first one, Fran, what's it, what's it, go for?
3: Mmm, it tastes like ham and pineapple pizza.
8: That's correct. So here's the second taste, Fran, for you.
3: Mmm, lovely. Is it strawberry jam?
8: You're right, yeah, it is strawberry jam. And the third one for you, Fran, is...
3: Mmm, my favourite. Is it apple crumble custard?
8: Yes, it is indeed. Apple gum and, and custard. To wash it all down front. This is your final one.
15: Is it pineapple juice?
8: You got all four front. Yay! So David is now officially blindfolded and he is going to taste these four things which are odd looking. Here's the first one.
12: <laughs>
14: Yeah, that's disgusting.
8: What do you reckon it is, uh, David? I don't know. That was octopus and frog pie. And the second one, David, for you is this?
14: <laughs> disgusting that was.
8: Do you have any idea what it was, David? It tastes
14: very bad chicken.
8: It's scramble flying saucers with French flies. So you think it's fries? You're wrong to say it's not chips. It's flies. Third dish, David, for you is this? <laughs>
14: Oh, don't worry. that's uh, like jam. Disgusting jam.
8: It's an alien burger with shrimp ketchup on it.
14: Mmm, tasty.
8: So, the last one, Dava, is this?
14: Uh, uh, uh. That is amazing, disgusting octopus.
8: It's not actually. It's spaghetti worms with runny nose sauce. So, Fran, well done. You've got top marks, that's four points. David, I'm afraid you're the loser, and have gotten on. David, how do you feel?
14: Oh, I'm gonna go out the door, I'll be sick.
4: <laughs> that was Carousel Radio. Find more at carousel.org.uk. Next, I Hear Voices was a podcast created when Radio 1 covered mental health for a year. Alice is a 27-year-old married mom of two with schizophrenia and in the podcast she shares her experiences and educates people about her condition. Let's take a listen.
16: I'm Alice. I have schizophrenia. You're about to meet the people in my head. They all have names and personalities. This is my story. I hear voices. I don't see Donna as a person. I kind of see her as a colour. I see her as a murky green and black. And sometimes, I know it sounds strange to explain, but she did have a position in my mind of where her presence was. And I associated her presence with a colour... But then I also associated with an action of like this colour being squished and strained. Like, you know, when you're wringing out a cloth, the hands I associate with my frustration with her. I'm just constantly frustrated. Like that action really fits how I feel towards Donna. Yes, Donna's not real. She only exists in my head, but she's one of the most hurtful people I've ever met. There's nothing I like about Donna. She causes me frustration, irritation, she makes me feel uncomfortable in my own body. It was stuff about my appearance, how I dressed, how I would sit in a seat, like, oh, you're making yourself look really fat and disgusting, how you're sad? oh, look at the way, look at how you feel. And at one point, I no longer felt comfortable to be naked while I was washing to so just have something to say about my body. Like, I wouldn't, didn't feel comfortable with that level of intimacy with my voice. And it made me feel disgusting about myself that I wasn't doing something right and it needed to be better. So when I was in the bath... I used to put a swimming costume on because I didn't want to see those areas in my body. So Donna I couldn't have a judgement. That was
4: I Hear Voices, an original podcast for BBC Radio 1. Now we've all heard or heard of literature podcasts, readings of classic novels, taking apart poetry and debating about plays. But Mostly Lit is taking a different approach, aiming to make talking about books fun and inclusive. They've introduced many readers to diverse books and marginalised voices, interviewing authors and supporting books by BAME writers. Here's a clip from the episode about novellas.
10: Yeah, I mean it's literally just how many pages the book has, mm. whether it's a novella or not. Right? Okay. Maybe I should start
7: writing a novella.
10: But um, yeah, I anyway. think a lot of
11: people start with novellas. My friend wrote one. Really?
10: Yeah. This is what Achebe, Achebe used to. No, he didn't start novellas. He used to give his students short stories to introduce them into literature. Mm. He said giving them big books he's clever. Like Of Mice and Men novella. Novella, yeah. And they give it to students because it's an, it's an easy introduction. Yeah. Even
7: like, I see they study
10: that. Oh, do they? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's it's just a nice way of easing them in rather than here you go. Here's fucking.
7: Of Mice and Men. Uh, yeah.
10: No, of um, Great Expectations. Wow. How are you introduce it in young? Uh, yeah, people it's to true. I read that book in year 9. Ridiculous. great expectations it's in year ridiculous. nine.
7: But it it teaches you some sort of discipline only for the people the the, the few minority of kids that
10: are really into it. Yeah. But in most, most cases in my opinion, don't, don't read it. It just how you're giving a, a a black 14-year-old from ends the great expectations. Mm. But well, why does he care? Do you know what I mean? Or you're giving him a tale of two cities that is dead it's such a it was the book. best of times it was the <laughs> worst she's <laughs> <laughs> gonna be like bro Derek what is like, <laughs> That's like the, that I was that, how
7: do we balance giving kids um, things that they will um, know see themselves com- in yeah. but, like or do you know what I mean and then I don't know
10: what you mean you need to explain it Okay, because well, I know what's coming and it's gonna make you sound bad
7: it's not I'm saying Say how do you like what is the difference because I of course give them books that they see themselves in but also give them books that they don't see themselves in do you know what I mean yeah
10: but that's what I'm saying you you start you diversify books, yeah because in.
7: because I wouldn't like the joy for literature for me is not only like it was terrible for me because I didn't have many black women books at my age to read mm. which I didn't even know I was missing out on until I started uni and mm-hmm. I would have loved those books then mm. but the joy for me was because I was able to open a book and reach another person's story that I would not even know do you know what I mean in yeah. a different time in a different place but the
10: difference is the next generation is going to be woke they're going to want to see themselves. They're going to, they, yeah. they basically now know. So why do you think I was going to sound bad? I thought he was going to say, oh, we should give them books that um, they can see themselves in, but they need to also be given real literature. I thought he was coming with that wow. angle. That's what I thought.
7: You must think I'm, wow, is this what you think of me?
10: That's what I thought this you were going to say. Is this what you think of me? Um, but yeah, of course. Cool. So like I gave my brother, <clears throat> Mama Can't Raise No Man. And now he wants to read more stuff. Yeah. You know?
4: That was Ray, Alex Reeds and Derek Owusu from Mostly Lit part of the Shoutout Network. And now we bring you Stance podcast, created by people that became increasingly frustrated at the underrepresentation of people of colour, women and other marginalised communities. So they decided to do something about it and create Stance as a platform that is more reflective of wider society, that talks about topics that are so often ignored, including white racial identity, the female prison experience and the North Korean refugee experience. In this clip we hear from Grenfell survivor Shaheen Sadafi. Justice! Justice! Justice!
12: Justice! Justice! Justice!
17: Justice! I'm here because I'm a resident of Grenfell Tower, I should say ex-resident, or I should say survivor or victim or whatever else we've been labeled by recently. The reason I'm here is because the voice of the residents and survivors and bereaved families are being ignored this is an opportunity to show the world no matter how much they try to create a fragmentation in between the community however much they make people live in austerity and Make them feel disfranchised. We will always come together, and voices will rise from the ashes and will speak. And the unity that's been created has led to this march becoming a place for the bereaved families and survivors to come together and to show the world that unity. What
13: does home mean to you now? What does home look like?
17: Home is the. Home is where you make it. Home is London. Home is wherever we feel we are safe.
13: You weren't safe in your home.
17: Well, we thought we were safe in our home. There were people fighting for us and our safety years before the fire happened. There were people that wrote blogs and letters and emails to the local council to tell them that the building was unsafe, that people would die if they did not listen. Instead they were met with an indifference and culture that sits so deep within the Royal Bar of Kensington, in Chelsea and I'm afraid to say in most of Britain where people are made to live in austerity. What happened at that night for you? That night I lost neighbours, I lost friends, I lost people that I could call sister or brother. That night I lost my home, I lost my possessions, I lost my memories and I lost... My sense of safety, my sense of belonging. that night we lost much more than what they make us out to be. Peace. No justice.
4: Peace. That was Shaheen Sadafi in conversation with Crystal Genesis and Heta Fell. The final nominee in the represent category is the backstory. Claire Mutimer and Susan Coulson got together and started this podcast in 2017 after they decided to share their passion for telling real-life stories, as we're about to hear. For seven-year-old Harvey, his dad going into prison was a complete shock. This is the story of the relationship Harvey sustained with his dad, despite him being inside, and the stigma
15: that surrounded that. I asked Harvey if his dad was happy to see him the first time he went to visit him.
12: I can't remember how happy he was, but I can remember how happy I was to see him. Um, I went every single time, every single um, visit that we had, because the other two sometimes didn't do it. Even if I was, like, feeling a bit sick, I'd still go, because if I didn't see my dad for that week, then I would have to wait, like, another two weeks to see my dad. And I just miss missed him so much.
15: Hannah started to experience for the first time the stigma that surrounds children whose dads are in prison.
6: Um, the older two got quite embarrassed. If anybody mentioned that their dad was in prison, they wouldn't acknowledge it. Um, Harvey would be quite willing to talk about it, but sometimes quite openly and perhaps not in the right places like the first thing he said when he went into school was my dad's in prison and it was like oh you know I felt quite embarrassed by it because the instant reaction from people is oh blimey you know you're in a relationship with somebody that's in prison well I wasn't and I knew I wasn't but it's that stigma that goes around it you know that if a parent is in prison then oh the children's upbringing is not very good or you know, there is a massive stigma around it and also people do look down at you.
15: Hannah is so brutally honest about everything. I love it.
6: I probably would have been in the same boat if I'd have known somebody and their parent, well, their child had had a parent go to prison, I'd probably think, oh, blimey, you know, because I'd never really known anybody that'd been in prison. Um, and it was just like, you know, when people said to me, oh, you know, is it true that Harvey's dad's in prison? i say, yeah. Yeah, it is true. His dad's in prison.
15: And unfortunately, this ignorance in other people led to bullying of Harvey. You can probably hear the emotion in Harvey's voice. He was determined he wanted to talk about this stuff, but it definitely wasn't easy for him.
12: Like There was one time I was walking home and I got into a bit of an argument and he said, at least my dad didn't go to prison, at least he still loves me. Now that made me feel. Um really sad and angry.
4: That was the backstory. Now let's hear the nominees for the category that not only sounds good as a podcast, but started out great on the airwaves. It's the best radio podcast, supported by UK Radio Player. Seasoned comedians Ellis James and John Robbins present a show combining music and comedy on Radio X every Sunday afternoon. And every week their show is edited down, then expanded again with extras and released as a podcast.
11: You're listening to Radio X. I am John Robbins and to my left a man whose performance as ratty in the year three performance of Wind in the Willows led the theatre critic of the Carmarthen Gazette to comment in Ellis James we have found the Welsh Henry Irving. (laughs) It's Mr Ellis James. Good afternoon, how are you John? I am, I'm there, I'm getting there, I'm getting in the vibe. Yeah, can I tell the listeners what you told me on text about two hours ago? About what? Well, some of your habits. Yeah sure. (laughs) Well what you ate last night. Yes, what do you think I ate last night Vin? Couscous. Think couscous? sad. Couscous? Have you sadder. ever met me? Sadder than couscous? Yeah, think, That's a think, pretty sad think food sadder. Stuff. If think you ask me, it. couscous is one of the saddest foods. Yeah, it's so dry, it's like eating the beach. Canned yeah. fish? Good guess, but no, I wish I wish to God it had been. Because mm. John's slightly more sprightly than I expected him to be, because he texted me what he'd done last night, and uh, I was expecting... Was it something pickled? Well, you're on the right track. You're on the right track, actually, Finn. Yeah. Ellis, put the listeners out of their misery. Is it 10 bags of Space Invaders? (laughs) 10 bags of Space Raiders. Space Raiders. (laughs) An entire. That's nine too many, John. (laughs) I know. I went to uh, the supermarket to get my dinner. And I thought, you never have crisps in the house. And I had the same conversation I always have in the supermarket, because if you got them in the house, you'll end up bloody eating you don't eat, don't eat, eat, had them. You'll eat them either. There. So I bought them, and I ate two on the way home, and then I put on Mindhunter, uh, a Netflix series that I'm quite into, and I had... Um, uh, I had uh, eight cans Enough. of neck oil and ten <laughs> bags of Space Raiders and felt awful. Yeah. When did you start to feel bad? I knew at packet six that I was, I was on the way. Packet six, and yet you still ploughed on. I thought, this is going to happen, isn't it? This is a Friday night and you're on your own watching Mindhunter. And ironically, you're, in a sense, trying to hunt your own mind at the <laughs> bottom of a multi-pack of Space Raiders. Yeah. a
9: quid. What for ten? Yeah, ten peach. That worries me. Alarm bells. Mm. So uh, packet seven, eight,
11: nine, and ten. It was it was attritional by this packet point. Packet ten was on the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> God. And then I.
9: Why? <laughs> oh,
11: You're not on a tight <laughs> schedule. I was eating them at such a pace by then <laughs> that i was I was not even sitting down to eat them. And then in the morning, I was sitting down to use the toilet. <laughs> in the morning, I went into the bathroom to find a crisp packet by the toilet and I went downstairs and and I'd I'd mistakenly thought I was going to get some writing down and my writing done and my pad was open on a page next to six six empty cans of neck oil and further space raider empties and all I'd written was grief is living.
4: (laughs) That was Ellis James and John Robbins on Radio X. Now we have a podcast that we've heard before in the nominations, but it's more than just a podcast. It's a weekly radio show for kids aged between 6 and 12. Fun Kids Science Weekly. Let's hear again from Dangerous Dan.
0: So I think we'll start this episode of the Fun Kids Science Weekly with a riddle to get us in the mood for, you know, amazing and dangerous discovery. So what can be soft enough to caress your skin heavy enough to crush your whole body and light enough to float on air have a think and make sure you're still here at the end of the show because we'll find out the answer right now you're in and you're staying uh welcome along to the fun kids science weekly hello my name is dan uh we're talking about the most awesome strange and often like desperately dangerous things in the universe so if you're like me and you're constantly fascinated by everything that's around you, and you're always wondering why things happen and why they work in the way they do, well, this show is for you, because today we're talking techno tablets. We're learning about the largest and most dangerous active volcano in the world, and we'll chat to the people behind an attempt to take a car to 1,000 miles an hour. First, uh, let's take a trip to the coolest school in the universe, where Professor Pulsar is teaching about cosmic rays. Deep
7: Deep Space space High, the universe universe handbook with the the Science and and Technology Facilities Council.
4: Thanks, Dangerous Dan, and also to the team at Fun Kids Science Weekly. Also in the running is Russell Brand, who has also been let loose on Radio X, covering all topics from fatherhood to confronting ideological counterpoints. The podcast version of the radio show gave fans an extra 20 minutes that might not always be suitable for the airwaves. Here's a clip of when professional contrarian Katie Hopkins guested on the show. What was
3: going on on LBC there, Katie? I was trying to talk to my lovely caller, Paul, from Croydon, and you came in and you kind of just kiboshed his little call. I felt Well, of course you... uh... You invited us in, Katie. Well, I waved to your producer in the in the thought that you were going to wait till you saw the red lights were off because you would know that a studio was live. No, no you, we Russell. don't know that. No, no, no. You're no. kind of professional in any regard, which you're clearly not because you're incompetent. You Katie, know. you do this the whole time. I thought that this thing was thick, But now I see that it's actually your true Real. nature. Before you came into the studio... I studios, literally secrete sulfuric acid from my vagina. Oh, crikey, there you go. My chair is <laughs> dissolving under me as I speak, Russell. We do... We'd have been pondering on the show whether or not love is truly the answer, whether you can love people back to health. I think you can kill something with kindness, and I do that. But my particular brand of kindness is venom. It is, and I've not seen too much of the old kindness now. Like my my own spiritual leanings make me believe that in any situation, and this one would be a particularly good example, yes. that we can resolve situations from through benevolence, joy. And kindness. Now, this like so. This is shtick. When you do that Sephuric surfo- immigrants don't matter stuff, you don't really mean it. I do, I do mean everything I say and the thing is, Russell, the reason people listen, the reason I have more listeners than you, is because of course Quality, I, not quantity, Katie, and also we're doing very well on the podcast charts Your name was nowhere to be visible, but if we were to look at the charts of pure necromancy and darkness, there she was, be winged and fanged, and <laughs> straddling if, like a colossus. If indeed I were just a raving madwoman screaming naked at the rain, not only would people run away, they wouldn't listen, but the reason... Well, this t- is one of the things LBC we're querying. The, the reason my clip, I suppose, at LBC has had the most—it's been the most viewed clip since launch—is because people identify with what I'm saying, Russell. Because you talk nonsense and I talk sense, and that's a very clear distinction, isn't it? Well, I suppose linguistically, you put a non in front of the sense, I suppose. <laughs> but like, but but my concern well, is—is is the these, nature of the monkeys? vitriol? Are these your 3 Wow, monkeys! monkeys pin, wow, evil, <laughs> you're real good. <laughs> oh. I mean, now, Katie Hopkins the saw a, a black man, <laughs> and immediately the word monkey leapt into her mind really? i'm not an expert on oh, psychiatry but, but it's an interesting you. social That's cue very katie hopkins
4: calls black man no. monkey live on radio brand. x katie hopkins speaking with russell brand next up shortcuts is a long-established podcast that also airs on bbc radio 4 it features short documentaries and true stories hosted by the comedian josie long Let's hear a clip where comedian Mark Thomas talks about his dad. This is Shortcuts.
1: A In my dream, she says, Sola left her sleeping body at home on the farm and dreamt her way through the stone
3: and into their world. Brief encounters, true stories, radio adventures and found sound. Today,
4: Christmas.
18: It really was a ceasefire of hostilities in our house, and there was a period of joy and
14: celebration. I think the world is ready for a new Christmas song, and your interpretation of same could bring it to its fullest potential. Hope you will consider introducing The Night Before, The Night Before Christmas.
18: It was one time when everyone was really happy, when everyone was very carefree, when all of those things of family actually mattered. It really was a ceasefire of hostilities in our house. And there was a period of joy and celebration. It was a time when my dad took time with us. It was a time when my dad was delightful and funny and not wound up. It was a time when he played. My dad was a self-employed builder and we used to work right up until Christmas. It would always be dark when we finished work. We'd finish at 6.30, that was the rule. So it would be dark, it would be extremely cold. And when we got in the van to drive home, Christmas started when he walked in the back door on Christmas Eve that's when it all began
4: Mark Thomas speaking on Josie Long's shortcuts for BBC Radio 4 on air and online weekly the listening service is designed to help curious listeners understand how music works whether it's rock or Rachmaninoff metal or Mozart each week, Tom's service introduces a different idea. Why do composers love outer space? What's the point of a conductor? Why are we all addicted to bass? Here's the episode where Tom took us into outer space.
9: Welcome to your journey to the musical limits of the known universe.
4: We choose to go to
0: the moon in this decade and do the other thing. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard.
18: Great. Two, one, zero. All engines running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff.
9: As we board the Sonic Space Cruiser, the listening service, to hear what space sounds
5: like. Listen, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.
9: We'll travel through swarms of Imperial starships. There they are, just above us. And hear the planets and comets sing. What's that flying past? Bill Sir Elton.
7: Man,
9: and there's David Bowie. What a very, very odd man he is too. This is ground control to and there, just travelling at approaching light speed, just next to that black hole there, Carl Stockhausen and George Ligeti are here too. Well, hang on, because as the poster for Ridley Scott's film, Alien, said in 1979, in space, no one can hear you scream. scream." And actually, Ridley was right, because as every fool knows, and as I found out this week, no one can hear you sing in the empty, infinite wastes of our ever-expanding universe. So... It's weird when you think about it that so much music has been written that tries to do exactly that, music that sings in space. Those millions of hours of sci-fi soundtracks and sound effects that are part of the way that we imagine what happens out there in the cosmos. But no, you really can't and never will be able to hear a laser in space despite George Lucas's best attempts to convince us otherwise. Our question on The Listening Service this week. Why do we want to sing in and about space?
4: Tom Service of The Listening Service podcast. And that's the end of our rundown of the best branded represent and radio podcasts and indeed all of our nominees for the year. Go support British Podcasting now by subscribing to any from the past five episodes that have piqued your curiosity. And don't forget to check out the incredible podcasts of The Guardian at theguardian.com forward slash audio. I'm Rihanna Dillon. The producers are Chika Ayers and Matt Hill for Rethink Audio and the British Podcast Awards. Until next year, goodbye.
3: The Guardian.